0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into Conduits of Trouble. Judd Zolga at Chip Scoggins, as always. And the Conduits of Trouble will start off with something that was not trouble, something that was actually outstanding, Chip Scoggins. (laughs) Um, A week ago, Sunday now, I believe, in the Star Tribune, you had a lengthy story Uh, about your time spent observing, watching, and talking uh, to the people in Austin, Minnesota. And it was a great job. It was really, really well done. Thank you. Uh, And I want to start you with this one. Just sort of take us back to where the idea came from, because I always find it interesting when you can find what sports mean that goes well well beyond sports. Yeah,
1: so it actually goes back to 2017, and I went to the the state basketball championship game, uh, 3A, because I, I know uh, former Dallas Cowboys coach Dave Thorson real well, and I wanted to go see Thor's team play. And, sure. So they were playing Austin, and I got—I mean, I didn't know anything about Austin. Never heard of it. knew no, you know nothing about it. I figured it was an outstate team because I didn't you know didn't know about them in the metro. So, but I, I look at the roster, and half of Austin's roster had African names, and so I asked uh, a writer there. I said, you know, what is their story? And he said, oh. They're their parents must be packers. And I was like, what what does that mean? And he said, oh, they probably work for Hormel. They got meat packers. They, uh, you know, the Hormel is headquartered there and, and probably immigrated from uh, Africa and, you know, are meat packers. And I was like, whoa, that could be a story, you know? So I always had that in the back of my mind. And then last May, like every spring I, I sit down for a day and just brainstorm ideas that, you know, I want to do for the year. And that, when I put down a list and, so I was talking to our high school uh, sports editor, Paul Clouda, who, ironically enough, used to be a business writer and wrote a book on the 85 strike Yeah. Hormel with yeah. Dave Haggy. Outstanding book, yes. Incredible book. And he was telling me, he's like, oh, that town used to be all white, and they had this, you know, generations of, of men would work for Hormel, and it was, you know, it runs the town. And, yeah. And then they had this big strike of 85, and so it really, you know, piqued my curiosity. So then I... I I called the uh, the Austin High Athletic Director Lisa Kudnow and said, told her a story. I was like, "Hey, I went to the 2017 game, and you know, mm-hmm. I saw this." And I said, "Could I come down and take you to lunch because I want to hear more about your school and the community?" So I drove down there last May. We had lunch, had a great visit, and just said, "I want to do this story." And so I didn't really know where it was going to lead me, but I kept going back, and I just found this fascinating story between you know a city coming to grips with immigration and how much that city has changed from being basically all white. It was 1% minority in 1980. So sure. now it's 31%. And in the school district, uh, minorities is the majority. Uh, there's up to 52 languages being spoken. And this is a town of 25,000 mm-hmm. uh, people up to 52 languages being spoken in the schools on a given day. And the basketball team is predominantly, well, it's, it's half and half, but it's uh, uh, South Sudanese, Descendants Their parents escaped the Civil War there uh, through refugee camps, typically Kenya and Ethiopia. Wow. But then the boys' soccer team was the other team we, we followed, and they have most years they have five continents represented. So they have, you know, obviously uh, American, but they'll have South American, uh, they have Hispanic, and in this small Minnesota, Africa, Minnesota Africa, town, in a small Minnesota town, and so in the in the mid '80s, when the economy, you know, uh, just crossed. The United States economy went bad, and, and the meatpacking industry got hard. Hormel demanded a 23% wage decrease, which cr- caused a 10-month strike. A lot of people went back. A lot of people didn't, but they still needed those jobs, and so that helped open up. And it That and just the changing economic influences throughout the country um, opened up uh, the door to immigration. So now you have – in Austin, if you look at their census, there's – all the countries that are represented in Austin, it's unbelievable. It's like a mile long. It's, uh, they have six continents, people from six continents. Um, the the three big ones predominantly are Hispanic, uh, Kareni from Southeast Asia that uh, people have fled their government persecution there, and then um, the South Sudanese, a mm-hmm. uh, uh, big population of South Sudanese. But then I was talking to the superintendent. Uh, in the last couple of years, they've, they've noticed dozens of kids and families from – place called Pompeii, not Pompeii, but Pompeii. it's a small micronesian island in the pacific ocean they just made their way to uh did you find so out how it, it typically is just you know a, a resettlement program and then it's just word of mouth back to families hey we're in austin minnesota we have jobs here at, at hormel and then and that's how the different communities come together it's like Families want to be with families, right? Sure. You want to escape whatever your you know sure. atrocities, and so mm-hmm. that's how it, that's how it, it spreads and grows. And so, uh, so we spent uh, we made eighteen trips down there over ten months, and just you know got to know different people and families, and uh, talked to you know the current former mayor, the police chief, uh, former Hormel CEO, who's and that, that's the thing, just that. that the sports component of it is, um, like, the Hormel, the Jeff Ettinger, who's now runs the Hormel Foundation, but he was the Hormel CEO, I think, for 10 years. He had four; he has four kids. They all played sports there. Well, guess what? The Hormel CEO, CEO plays on the same team with the Meat Packers kids, and they wear the same uniform sure. and they have the same goal. And so it's, that town has really done an amazing job of trying to connect different groups and integrate um, city councils, schools, just. Um, the people that, as Chris Fadness, the basketball coach said, the people that have in that town do a really good job of helping out the people that don't have, whether it's rides to practice, you know, you can stay at our house, food, buying shoes. I mean, I can't tell you how many, uh, examples of people I heard that just people that, you know, middle-class or wealthy buy shoes and donate them anonymously. So kids that that need shoes, Right there's one, um, couple there that they noticed the kid was playing basketball and he was sliding all over the, the court where he was, he <laughs> was in uh skateboard shoes. So like he needs basketball shoes. So they bought a pair of basketball shoes and gave it to him anonymously. So now they do that every year. They buy several pairs of shoes and football cleats and just give them to the school and say, Hey, here, give whoever mm-hmm. the kid needs, he's given them to him. So it's just like little examples like that, that, but that's how sports galvanize. It is. And sports is together. It is. Sports is amazing. Like, um, that soccer team. So, you have five different continents represented, so different languages. And in the heat of the battle, like in the heat of the game, sometimes they'll, they'll communicate to each other in their – and they all speak English. Um, but in the heat of the battle, they'll, they'll communicate to their uh, their friends in, the, in that language. So sometimes you have different languages going on on the it's same team. Funny. Yeah. Um, but they're – I mean, that team is uh, about the most connected, tightest team I think I've ever seen. And just, I mean, you know, they – they chant family every time they break the huddle and, and the way they pass. I mean, it's just amazing. And you, it's, it's funny because you see, you know, a crinny passing to a kid from Africa, passing to a Hispanic, passing to a you right. know a, a white kid from Austin. And it's just they don't see they're just like brothers. They don't see their differences. So the the thing that I, I also took from
0: your story that I found to be so intriguing, though, um, from the same vein, but more the parental one or the adult yeah. one was how this sort of took time for the adults to accept this more what? so. Because, you know, as you said, there was a time when Austin was all white. And so yeah. I, I thought it was really, your story was great because on one sense, you got the kids who are like, well, th- this is how we do things. Yeah. It's our life. And then you've got the adults who are like transitioning to getting used to it. Yeah. And so it was sort of like these parallel it is. stories of people all all in the same thing together, but very much uh, different approaches to how they accepted or yep. got used to
1: it it's funny because it's just you learn it right and so jason baskin is the city council member down there he he played basketball came up here to the u uh, his dad works on the on the corporate side um graduated from u he he works corporate side now he's the, the marketing director but he played basketball there and he was he was the chairman of the human rights commission now he's on the city council gonna be he'll be in politics and that he's just a, a really good leader but he on his presentation he always had his uh he had a photo of his 2001. He was he played basketball there. 2001 team photo, all white. And then if you flip the sheet of paper over, it's the 2017 one, and it's half and half. It's half uh, Sudanese kids, half white. And he said when he was in school, if minorities stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, there was only a few. You might have a, a mm-hmm. you know, a African American kid here or there, but it was all white. And he has a, a daughter in first grade now, and um. He said, she doesn't see color. I mean, it's just, this is what you grow up with. It's just, hey, that's my friend. This is my friend. If you're a kid, you don't. No. And and one thing they did, didn't make the story, but they were one of the first, they created one of the first kindergarten-only centers. So they have a building. It's only a kindergarten. It's not connected to an elementary school. It's not connected to a preschool. Just kindergarten. So you have 400 kids every year just go to that building for kindergarten. And so they learn right there, it's like, Hey, there's a kid from East Africa, or hey, there's a kid from Southeast Asia, or here's a kid from Mexico, or South, you know. And so, to them, there's kids grow up that are being born there now and and raised there. I don't know; they even see the difference. Right? They're just their friends. Right. Whereas, if you're a seventy-five-year-old guy who grew up in Austin and all you knew (laughs) was white, then all of a sudden there's. It's not all white, or you're 55 or something. Yeah, and so different. And there were challenges. I mean, there uh, the former mayor Bonnie Reed, who was the mayor when it really started to turn. They used to have community listening sessions where they would allow people to come in, and talk about, hey, how you know we're changing. How do we how do we ad- address this? And people would would come and shout at him. They would shout at him, wow. "What are they doing here? They're taking our jobs," which they weren't, um, right? Because people didn't want those jobs anymore, right? Um, and so. And you'd be naive to think that there's still not that, there's still not people in that town that don't like it. Uh And I heard some, you know, during some of my visits, just casual conversations with people, you heard it, you know, all the crime rates through the roof. Well, I talked to the the police chief, it's not through the roof, it's it's actually the same. Um, But you'd be naive to think there's people there, and and Jason Baskin, he, he told me, they had Listening sessions all over. Rotary clubs, coffee shops, schools, churches, what just... They'd ask three questions. Mm-hmm. What are we doing well? What are our challenges? If you were mayor for one day, what would you change? Every time they had... Those were the three questions. And... I mean, they... You know, they were... He, he called it very, very small pockets of just people that you were not getting through to. That just... Which is not surprising. Like, no. And that's... You could find that in every community, right? Uh, yeah. And so they're just people that, like, they don't want to even have anything to do with it. But... As you said, that's very very small pockets and and I just think it's it's amazing that and this was not the intent of the story, but we hear about the examples of the other side mm-hmm. where small towns and immigration and and it has not been receptive and um this town it starts with leadership really, in the schools you know hormel, the city right the elected leaders right. have really been deliberate and intentional about trying to um
0: make it work did you find that the 85 strike because i was 15 then and mm-hmm. i remember th- there was first of all national cover it tore this town apart yeah like 100%. this was not a this was not a strike as we think hey you're on strike. no it um, drew national spotlight like, it did like people a ton. national like national it, news or what and as i recall it got violent like yeah, it was
1: uh, the governor sent the national guard and yes. jesse jackson reverend Jackson.
0: did you find that that in retrospect in your reporting that that actually because that was so tumultuous um helped with the helped with this transition to where where they are now because it you know that got that was something in the 80s that got ugly that got and so to go to go from point a to point b did it almost become an easier transition because the the middle was so bad yeah i
1: don't think it was easier there's still hard feelings down there
0: oh sure They're they're, just saying the city was torn apart by the strike. Yeah. And so and what you what you wrote about, Chip, almost
1: read like healing in some ways. And And I know it ended up in a different place. I do think the negativity that threw out there and then what happened afterwards. I think it shaped like Bonnie Reitz was there, the former she they'd moved there in 79 and she got involved in the city and politics because she said, I hated seeing our town so negative. Uh-huh. And so she was very—it uh, probably shaped her that, um, let's not go through that again. Let's not have this town torn apart. Right. You know, we, we've we seen what happens when but, we're divided. And I think the healing process, yes. which still might be going on, took— For some people—yeah, some people—I mean, there are people— years. Who, Like, if you talk to some of the old guards there, there's still some sharp opinions about Hormel and— Yep. I mean— whether they really needed a 23% wage cut and that they, you know, there's still a lot of um, scars from that. Uh-huh. I mean, there were families that were broken up by that. Judgment. You know, some family members crossed the picket line and went back to work, and family members would not talk. I mean, like, it, it, yeah. it tore apart families, not just a town, but just, right. like, families. And that, that's where your story it
0: felt like was a healing process yeah. and and i know there there are always going to be people who don't like to change sure i yeah. get that completely but a lot of what you wrote about was a feeling of acceptance and i
1: think so because things that
0: obviously didn't go on it, back then yeah
1: and i think so because i think the reaction reflects that like i've gotten just overwhelmed with people from austin
0: bob monsko loved your story yeah yeah i saw
1: that That was cool um it's amazing the number of people that afterwards that come out like people i know that i didn't know they were from austin yeah that um uh, but they just have like pride mm-hmm. in how the, the town has accepted this. I mean, that's, that's been the biggest thing I've, I got that sense when I was reporting it, but I, even more so afterwards, because there, there's people that I didn't meet, obviously I didn't meet the whole town, you know, just right. specific people, but right. people call and, and you can just tell like their pride, like Matsko wearing that, that yeah. his, his old letter jacket or whatever that was. Um, so I think there's. Like, they haven't, you know, it's a small town. It's 100 miles from here, so they're not getting a lot of media coverage. And so I think they're proud of somebody shining a light on their town. Well, especially and the say, good stuff now. Yeah. Because in, <laughs> in the
0: 80s, you got, no, but I mean, there yeah. was plenty of media there then. Yeah. Oh, god. And yeah. so that that spotlight was shined, yeah. and then everyone pulled up stakes and left, and was like, okay, now you're boring. Yeah. And so your, your um, piece did a really nice job of shining the light on the recovery yeah. and where things, and of course, the the story now is beyond interesting because it's just yeah. so intriguing yeah how and it's
1: things have gone and that's the thing like i've heard a couple of people said you know we're not perfect don't paint this as perfect because it's not we had our challenges we still have our challenges Our struggles right. we don't have you know right but it's you can see a town that's really trying and doing be like i said being deliberate intentional and i mean just some of the different uh initiatives and people extending a hand it's it's amazing like what People in that town are doing to make it work, and mm-hmm. I wish I, could, you know, I, I literally could write a book on it mm-hmm. because there's just so I many. You can't put it all in the newspaper, but there's just, uh, you know, a million little things that 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 town is doing. Last thing off this, yeah. How much? So, when you were
0: gonna do the story and wrote down the note that you, that you would like to, and then started the process, how much of that story, your perception of where that story was going to go, became true, and how much different was that story? By the the end, and were you actually more intrigued by it when you were finished? Yeah,
1: I was because it 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 kept expanding. The more I went back, something else would come up, and I was like, you know, I got to go back. And whether it was a family or whether it was the mayor, now, um, mm-hmm. I spent one day just there with with him. I mean, he's a he was a thirty year police officer, fourteen on the beat, sixteen as a narcotics officer. People thought he was anti immigration when he ran, and he's from Milwaukee, ex marine. Thirty-year cop, narcotics, in a town that was all white. Now it's becoming an immigrant, and people mm-hmm. thought he was going to be anti, uh, anti-immigration, and they thought he ran on that. And I sat in his in his home with him in his kitchen, you know, and had a long talk with him. And he's like, "I didn't have a clue. I didn't know. I just saw people shuffling in and out. Initially, it was young men that were just coming in." Six months to six to eighteen months, and shuffled in and for out the jobs. For jobs, sure. They, they found that there were there were a lot of uh, men were actually living in the Twin Cities, but would drive there, work all week, and just crash at someone's house, and then go back on the weekends to the Twin Cities. And then it became more families. They got you know taxpayers, homeowners, kids went to schools. Sure, it became more families, but. And this guy, the mayor Tom Steen, was saying it changed me. He said I'm a better person. He said I had no idea. He said you have these all these this big blank space in your head. And you don't know. You fill it with negative thoughts. He said I got to know him, and he said my neighborhood is exactly what we want to live here. And this is what Austin is. There's six Karenny families on his neighbor on his wow. across the street. There's a Hispanic down the street. There was an uh, I think an Australian, um, and like his neighbor, there are Kareni family don't speak a lot of English, but. He helps him out like uh, the week before I got uh, sat down with him. They had a tree fall. We well, they didn't know what to do it, so he went out there and cut it up for him. You know, he had his chainsaw and he cut it up for him, and he, he helps him with their yard. and And the the wife brought over a big squ- uh, squash for him and his wife as a you know. Thank a, you. A thank you. Yeah. So it's like, like so the, the story kept going. So I was, and so I said, you know what, this mayor is a chapter of the story. And I didn't. We had to condense some, um, you right. know, but um. So I just. The more you're down there, the more I – lo- I thought it was just going to be about a basketball team, maybe a soccer team. Mm-hmm. But the more I was down there, I realized it's a town, and it's all these different things, the Hormel Foundation, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Hormel Foundation, if you're a kid that graduates high school there, there's a junior college there called Riverland Community College. They will pay for you to go two years, 60 hours, get your associate's degree, mm-hmm. pay for it. You go for free. Now you have to do some community service. That's part of the stipulation. But sure they will pay for you to go to school. It's like, think about that. I mean, that's, how many small towns have that? How many small towns have a Fortune 500 company with a foundations that's given right. up to $10 million, you know? So um, it became, the more I kept going, the more I kept learning, the more I was around them. I, I felt like this was a more than a sports story. Uh-huh. It was a town story that had a a The sports component was kind of the anchor to it. The jumping off point. Yeah, yeah. But goes well beyond that. And people can still find this at the start community. Yeah, I think they still have it. Uh, It's still getting, it's funny, it's still getting a lot of reads on it every day. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's been rewarding. What great read, Chipper. Thank you. All right, let's move on
0: uh, to the, uh, to the sportsy sports stuff, Chip Scoggins. Let's start with uh, a guy that I think we both like as a person,
1: Richard Pitino. Yes. What, what do you think is going to happen th- with Richard Pitino? I don't know. I said I think last time we were here. I, I said I think. Did I say I would be surprised if if they let him go? I think yes. I, but and that was before just all a, the losses. That, yep. that was
0: after the Iowa loss, I believe. Yeah. And the Iowa meltdown, which they didn't score in the last five and a half minutes yes. of that game. But it was before the Maryland meltdown at home. Yeah. So I, I.
1: It's gotten.
0: It's gotten worse since
1: then. I, I will say I don't. I I haven't. Got a sense, um, haven't done a lot of inciting on it yet to um, get a sense, but I, I don't think I can say I'd be surprised at this point if they let him go. Um, that's that's not to say I think they will, but the the problem is, Judd, what was that attendance for Maryland? 9,000? They announced 9,000. It was 8-something. That's a problem. Oh, yeah,
0: the upper deck, the end zones of the upper deck were essentially empty. That, that's a problem. When you got a top-ten team coming oh, yeah. in and, and you're drawn. Agree completely. It's half time. And then you've got the game at halftime. And make no mistake, Maryland did not win that game. Yep. The Gophers lost that yeah. game.
1: Yeah, and I, I will say and I, it, it's two different things, but I know Mark Cole, like when he let go of Tracy Clay's, part of it was, was they had a big game in November. He looked out there, and there was 15,000 people there, and he's like, this, we need to shake the tree. Does he feel the same way about Patino when he looks out there and he sees the Williams right. for a big game half empty right. and feel like we need to shake it? So that's the thing you have to think about. And I do know Coyle, I mean, I've heard him talk about it a lot, recruiting. Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. He's, you know, when PJ, he always talks about it, and, and I think that's partly bigger reason why he hired Lindsey Whalen. He, she should be able to recruit, and I think mozgo probably can recruit. And uh-huh. so— you know, there's nothing that says you have to get Minnesota kids, but when you're getting none and you have no depth, and like Dawson Garcia is going to Marquette, yep, um, that's a problem. You know, it, it, you're not going to beat kid You're not going to beat Duke for kids. You're probably not going to beat Kansas for kids. Although I think O'Toole had a late offer, but from Kansas, but like last minute. But you know, Tyus Jones, you're not going to get Matthew Hurt. You're not going to get, and, then, and I don't fault Patino for that at all. But it's like that next tier kid. If you're not getting them either, that's a problem too. Yeah, especially when we are now in the state producing this is a state of basketball. basketball
0: players like this, we never have ever 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 the, before, and I don't know what's going to stop. I mean, that's just now become a basketball factory in some it's a, ways. It's
1: become one of the best states, yeah, in the country for basketball. It just has. You look at the kids that are going. I mean, look at the high level kids every year that the state is producing, and yes. it's and you look down the the row, and there's still a, you know more and more kids are playing, and so. I don't know. I mean, his buyout's 2 million. Um which by the way, is, these days is a drop in the bucket. Yeah, it's not with with the TV money that these schools all get. Yeah, 2 mil is not you, that. I it mean, it's not like it's 8 million. Correct. Um 2 mil is doable. So I don't you know. I saw yesterday Patino said he doesn't think he's going for a job, not that he's going to say yes, right. I am. Um, but I it's if if they feel like you you've lost the fan base, it's hard to come back. Yeah. That. yes and
0: he's in year seven mm-hmm. and i know it's a small as the kids like to say sample size but the iowa indiana and maryland home losses are dreadful so they're not and you know and your team you, you don't have depth but your team is should not be terrible you should have won the maryland game you should have won the iowa game so there's just things and, and the one thing is and i'd be curious to get your thoughts on Coyle because you've certainly talked to him more than I have. I see him at every... He's at a ton oh, of no, he, stuff. Yeah, he He's is. there, but he's so low-key, uh, and he definitely doesn't want attention or the spotlight. Nope. What is your thought process <laughs> on how he thinks ab- about these things? Because we he, know he's got the list of coaches in his yeah. drawer, but what's your... So would, would you... Because I think the ordinary person would just think, well, he's really laid back and low-key, yeah, he's that's, not going to no, do something.
1: Yeah, no, don't, do not think have that opinion. So I know Mark really well going back to when he was the marketing director here and I was the beat writer, and do not mistake not wanting the spotlight for being milk toast, because that is not who he is. He is super competitive. He will make hard decisions. Um, and if he feels like a change needs to be made, he'll make a change. We, we've seen that in his tenure. I mean, mm-hmm. he does not – he's not afraid to make hard decisions, I can tell you that. And so now does that mean he's going to make one here? You know, I don't know. But just because he's not – being quoted every five seconds, and and he has a you know, kind of a. What's the right way to describe his personality? Uh, understated. Yeah. Well, he just doesn't appear to be very comfortable publicly. Yeah. Uh, but when you talk to him one on one, he's right. Yeah. I mean, when he's when the TV cameras on, that's not his, right his best moments. You know, but but when you talk to him, he, he's very sharp, very. Um, the thing that I, I don't think people know, he's highly competitive. I mean, very competitive. And so, but he's not irrational, if that makes sense. I mean, it's not like one bad loss he's flying off the handle, and you know. Right. But he's he he wants to win, and he knows he knows what it takes. And and he's been at high. I mean, he's been at Kentucky, he's been at Boise, where the you know football was big then. Um, been at Syracuse, so he knows he knows what he wants from his basketball program. Mm-hmm. And I do know from talking to him over years, he likes Patino. I mean, it's hard not to like Patino. He's a good guy, you know. He doesn't – he's not one of these egomaniac coaches that
0: – The only people that you hear that don't seem to like him across the board are the high school basketball coaches. And that's – it's the weirdest like, thing. That, like, he's good to us. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's – fine
1: with us. And I like the fact that he's – Coyle likes him, you're right. You're, you you know, he's honest. Uh, he doesn't – you know, he's patient with all the stuff about his job security. He doesn't take himself too serious. Like, you know, some of these college coaches are just yeah. like – you know the most important thing in the world, and I don't think he ever is going to be that. Um, I think that the biggest knock is there's just never been consistency. It's just the up and down. Make yes. the tournament. Don't make the tournament. Make the tournament terrible year. Make the tournament really bad year. And it's so it's hard to feel like you're sustaining anything. And then you know, if Oturu leaves, which I, I you know, if I was advising him, I would say come back. And I think you can be a surefire lottery pick if you stack another good year, get stronger and all that. But if he's going to be a first-round pick, it's hard to tell the kid not to go. I think you know? you're exactly right on both fronts. Yeah.
0: I think a smart advisor would say, come back. He's going to be told, though, by enough be a people, leave. Somebody might tell I will leave. And, I think will leave. and yeah. play, you know what, too? I can't, and I can't blame well, him. I'm not going to blame him. No, He's it's his, young. Yeah, it's his decision. But this season, as good as he's become, also mm-hmm. has to be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and, and Cause what's around him, and you know the Maryland game chipper, w- what was it the last three minutes of that game? He didn't basically touch the basketball until so that know. last uh, desperation heave.
1: Yeah, and so if he leaves, oof, yeah. oof. Yeah, and Mashburn's kid's going to come in. Yeah, bro, but they PC. they have nothing
0: inside outside of him. Well, have you ever seen a kid? And I I know the Patino thinks he's got no choice, but have you? When's the last time you've seen a player have his? Mid it's um, maxed out like Marcus Carr. I know, and Marcus and he Carr's, doesn't have a choice. Tr- I mean, it's it's, but it's clear by the end of every game that kid is so gassed. Yeah, he becomes and and it's not surprising he beco- he goes from being I think a pretty good point guard mm-hmm. to making bad decisions, turnovers, a- are, and his legs are gone. Yeah, yeah, and it's I mean, and it's like there's but the
1: cycle is such that there's in Patino's mind nothing he can do about it. Yeah, and then you add on that just a disappointing year by Gabe Kausler. Oh yeah, I mean just I don't. You watch him shoot it, and you think he would just be, you know, dead eye shooter. But it's—I don't know if he's lost his confidence or what. I mean, he's, obviously he's not great off the dribble, but just even spotting up and shooting his his shooting has just been erratic. The Louisville
0: first round game in Des Moines last year, the NCAA tournament, that kid was so good, and you thought to
1: yourself, okay, next season, yeah. bang.
0: And he—well, I will him.
1: say he is really good defensively, on ball defender. He's he's tough as nails, but but just the shooting, just being so erratic. Yep. And but he was shooting so well, yeah. in the Louisville game. So I don't – to get back to the question, I don't know, Judd. I, I, I guess I won't be surprised either way. Do you have a, a
0: thought on if they um, did fire Patino, where they might go?
1: Well –
0: Where Coyle might go? Just...
1: Well, we do know, and I, and I do know this because I've, I've had conversations about him, He definitely keeps a running list right. at his house. Um, you know, uh, people – the first one everybody will throw out is Musselman, you know. No, I don't. Eric Musselman. I don't know what his buyout is, or if he'd have any interest. Um, uh, what's his name at uh, Colorado State with uh, Miko? Uh, his mind slip. me. look it up. Um, I don't know that there's a. You know, the other one of people saying I, I don't know that he would have any interest, but he's out there. Is John Beeline? I don't think Beeline would want this job, and. And
0: I guess what it be on a, him is, would, is, is is this a young man's game now that's, too? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean the guy can coach, obviously. Oh but, right, right. But um, But would he want to go uh, I, I just would one, I don't, find
0: sort of a fleck type of guy?
1: That's yeah, you've you've um uh, Tad Boyle.
0: That that's the Colorado uh, No Colorado State. Colorado State, yeah.
1: Okay. Um uh former assistant here. Um but Nico Medved. Nico yeah, Nico Medved. Um He's a young man. Yeah, he was, he was a sit- yeah, he was with he was assistant here. Um so I, I think his name would probably come up. Yep. And you know, Dave Thorson's his assistant. Um uh I don't know if he would be looking for you know, the Fleck clone, a young guy recruiter. He probably would because of you know, he he <laughs> It's worked pretty well for him. Yeah, and and um so I but I'm guessing there'd be an outcry for probably for Musselman, right? That's a really good question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there could be. But I don't know what his buyout situation is. I don't is know. All that. I haven't looked.
0: How about uh, Anthony Grant from Dayton? Mm, I mean, he. Who's an attractive name. A,
1: and look what they're doing. But if you're Anthony Grant, <laughs> is, this, is this the, you know. Well, but. Is this the big leap uh, that you're making? So, I mean, this is not. I mean, it, this program doesn't have a decorated history. Right. But here's what I'm going to throw at
0: you. Because this is. You're right. But. Think about where we are now uh, when it comes to practice facilities that this team now has access to, which, you know, with Tubby, they didn't. Tubby complained about it, but Tubby wasn't necessarily wrong. So there's two things, I think, that changed the dynamic of this program. And one is the fact that they now have practice facilities, Mm -hmm. weight facilities, um, nutrition that now are top notch. You're in the Big Ten. And, and the other thing that we talked about is the state. Yeah. You have three, 100%. You so, can, like, this is not, I I don't think that we can put this into old school gopher discussions.
1: No, no, because you, you you, definitely, you know, the, you know, the previous knock was, oh, my gosh, they don't have a practice facility. Nobody wants to practice in the barn. It's, you know, you bring kids in there. It's, They're like, what? Right. Uh, so, um, it's not that. So, you have, you know, you have all the, the fancy practice facility. It is the Big Ten, so you're, you know, the top. Yeah. You know, basketball conference kind one of the top three. Um, and
0: then you're near a, a major metropolitan city in, or in one, which a lot of
1: people do like. And I'm sure a lot of those coaches who are going to be interested come here to recruit. So they're, yeah. they, they know how good the basketball is here. So, yeah, I think it is desirable, but I also think they'll look at it and you look at your roster and be like, eh, I mean, it, it needs a lot of work. Yeah, sure, I mean that roster needs a lot of work, but you would have a little bit of time. Then
0: here's my thought: is is you know for how long did we say why can't go for football be Wisconsin mm-hmm. be like Wisconsin? You know, Wisconsin's had such great success, and I, I think now Fleck is taking steps towards that, yeah, becoming a reality more so. But if but if we ask that question of go for football, there's no reason yeah. why Minnesota basketball can't be as yeah. good or better than Badger basketball.
1: Yeah, football is is a slower thing to... Absolutely. Because you need more guys and all that. And
0: Wisconsin but, had a really good template for mm-hmm. it. Um, but when you look at in-state talent, facilities now, there is no reason on God's green earth why Wisconsin Badger basketball, which mm-hmm. has had a
1: run of great success... I agree. ...is better than you all the time. I agree. I agree. And it's... I don't see any... The excuses that we used to use are gone. That's what I think. Yeah, and
0: so I get tired of talking about this like it was like it's Dan Munson or Tubby. Yeah, because they did have
1: their hands tied. No question. With, with the facilities. Yeah, and, they couldn't find a place to and practice. And I don't know that basketball, Tubby basketball used to was okay t- back then, but it wasn't like it is now. But Tubby used to talk about that. We don't have a place to practice. And he wasn't wrong. There's um, there's an, an event in Williams. Well, guys I, couldn't get shots up. Remember, guys would go yes. there and try to get shots up, and there would be something, some event going on, and they couldn't do it.
0: Yes, and kids would... Uh, complain, players yeah. would complain, and Tubby was right to be like,
1: "What am I supposed to tell them?" Yeah,
0: but now that's gone, mm-hmm. and so I do think that now, if you are selling this program, and I don't care if it's Patino and you're selling the program to kids, yeah, or if it's a new coach, or if it's uh, Mark Coyle and you're selling the program to a new coach, yeah, I think the sales pitch is we can be, we should be really good all the time. Yeah,
1: and that's, but there, I think there is probably that perception It's like, eh, I'll get a job." It is, but if you look at it, like we're talking about, we know it probably intimately more than. But that somebody from the outside. Oh, you do go it. to the facilities now and yeah. walk into there and it's not like the old uh Beerman days. Oh my gosh. That converted uh volleyball thing. Yeah, when, had, yeah. and
0: the floor is basically dead. <laughs> it was the ball concrete the, floor. It yeah. wouldn't dribble off the floor. Yeah. yeah, you couldn't dribble. Yeah. So uh twins baseball. Are we I got a question for you. Are you are you mapping out the parade route? That's what I was gonna ask you. Mm. That's uh, we Sorry are, to steal your thunder there. Oh no, no, no. We are paid to be cynical by nature, yeah. and, and we should be. And even down to, and I think this is the kiss of death. Patrick Rice is like, this team's really going to be good. Yeah. Are we not seeing this? And I'm not saying they're going to fail. Okay. Yeah. But when's the last time that you started a season being like, you know what, this team's going to be really good.
1: Nothing's going to go wrong. You're not allowed to be optimistic, Judd, in this town. No, right. You cannot but, but, be yeah, optimistic. But, so my, but
0: twins wise, I have been. Um. Not wait, like this. And I've been. No, I'm saying. Oh, right this year, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, yeah. going into yeah. this year, it's
1: okay. okay. You're allowed to be optimistic, right? But do we need to
0: pull in the no. range? No. Why? Why?
1: Because we're used to being pessimistic. Be optimistic because on it. we thought the 2010 Vikings were going to. be I good. know, but you can have your heart broken. <laughs> it's Okay. Well, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> um, no, I, no I, I'm i
0: just curious if you've reined yourself in because no. I, I keep trying to think to myself, should I be reining myself in more?
1: I still think. No, I don't think you should rein yourself in. Um, I still think they'll need to add some pitching. Uh-huh. But that's that, That's if, hey, if you really think you're going to be a World Series contender. But I, I think there's reason to I know, be optimistic. think we're all going with, they're going to win the division for sure. And then, I, yeah, I know. I know it's a weird feeling because we're always the other team. Like, right. if this goes right and this goes right and this goes right and this goes you might have a chance. Well, now you look at it, it's like, man, they got one of the best lineups in baseball, right? hmm uh-huh. And the starting pitching looks pretty solid. Doesn't look great, but looks pretty solid. I, think I like the, the rotation, trade. yeah, and I think the I think the the bullpen's gonna be pretty good. Because I like I think, like I you know, I like the my trade. he hate getting up Gratterall just because he, he like guy sure. throws hundred. But there were times last year we look at Trevor May. You're like, man, he could be really good if he could just figure out you know whatever it is that he has kind of. Like those lapses. and there were times that he did look. But he was really dominant, good, and there were times like against the Mets when he couldn't get a guy out. Yes, but I think that probably was. I think he'll take a step from that, don't you?
0: Yes, I like the bullpen. I do. I do like the bullpen. I, I think like Taylor Dodgers. Rogers is. Yeah, I like. I like, like, the I addition like May. Of Clippard. Yeah, he is not. That's not like he is a household
1: name. But I, I like think Romo. Nice. I mean, yes, um, I like the bullpen. And I mean, they have they have they have guys that can get guys out out there, and so. Um, so I don't see any need to be pessimistic about this team. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's okay to say, you know what, this looks like it now are they gonna win 101 games. I think if I'm doing it, I I'll probably have a little bit of regression, but probably 97, 90, you know, right. I don't think you, you can, but you still think they're going to win the division. I, think, I still so think they're win the division. Yeah. Here's my, here's my biggest question.
0: Um, and it starts with Rocco. And I think the answer is it's going to be fine. But I am curious to see now how things start when there's pressure on you.
1: When there's there, the expectation. There's a different, yeah.
0: But you do have Cruz and Donaldson and guys like that who I don't think are going to care.
1: Do you think it, like, do you think those guys internally are going to even care about the difference of being an underdog or the favorite? I don't think Cruz and Donaldson will. And I think that I do wonder if them. individual...
0: I do wonder if any individual players are going to put more pressure on themselves because there's pressure on the team, but to, I think what you just said is right. I think I think the attitude of veteran players like that permeates the lot. But here's the thing like, okay, For Garver,
1: Garver. So now there's a, a a baseline of what he is. Yeah. If it starts off slow or whatever, do you think he's going to press? Well, you you did the big story yeah, on him I, last year
0: and I was talking to him at Twins Fest, and as far as I can figure, he's one of the more flat lined dudes. He's like out a robot. There. So I, <laughs> I don't he doesn't strike me. Now, do I think if Sano scuffles or something, it might be a problem? That might that might yeah. be. But I'm just trying to I'm not trying to say they're not going to be really good. I'm just trying to yeah throw up a, a flare to see if there's anything that I mean, there's
1: individual good. things like okay, how's Sano gonna be at first base? Like right. that's a, I don't know if it's a concern, but it's a question. Can bucks and stay healthy. Can bucks and stay healthy. Um, you know, does Rosario bounce back a little bit more? And it's uh, he wasn't bad. No, but, yeah, but
0: in the field he wasn't great. But, but yeah,
1: the, yes, exactly. I mean, there's there's some of these guys are going to have some regression, probably, right? Yeah, you're not going to have career years every year, but but I also think you're you have a better lineup now. Yeah, with with Donaldson there, and let's say Buxton plays more, and you're not forced to, you know be without him for that extended period. Well, and that to me that's the absolute key. If you have Byron Buxton on,
0: let's say 100 let's say he can play 140 games or 150. That that's, yeah, that's, that's a, that might be He could take you because he's so good defensively and look, here's the weird thing. He can hit 250 and be a difference maker offensively. Um I think Buxton's the type of guy that takes you from being a really solid team, the lineup's really good mm-hmm. and, and you win the central to you can make a playoff run, I, I, yeah,
1: because you're—he's a difference maker, yeah. And we saw it last year. And I mean, you get and a full. Can you
0: imagine if how, he can play and hits two seventy or something?
1: I know. And how many? So how many time. games did they have with Arise last year? Now you're gonna have a full season with him. Yeah, man, and
0: I'm curious. I am curious on that one. I really—I like don't think him.
1: there'll be a regression that much with him.
0: That one, I'm curious to see. I just think he's a professional. I just like to see guys in their second year.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, maybe pitchers will figure him out a little bit, but I think he's a little bit unique.
0: But I'm with you. I'm very optimistic. Yeah.
1: I mean the one I just thing you get worried when I'm too optimistic. The, yeah, the one thing you can't ever control is injuries, right? You know, and that that obviously can derail things. But totally different. If we're looking at it on paper, I would see this as a playoff team again. Yeah, no, I think they are. I
0: think they're AL Central champions. I think they probably. I think you're right. I think they come down to let's say 95 wins. The White Sox are going to be better, and mm-hmm. Cleveland, although their lineup does not do much uh, for you, and their outfield's not very good, their starting pitching, if they hold it together, is going to be pretty good. Uh, So I think the Central Division, Detroit's awful, Kansas City's awful. I think the White Sox definitely are taking a step and could be competitive. So I think there's less easy wins out there, Uh, but there is no reason why. I mean, the the expectation opening day should be the Twins win a second consecutive. Well, here's the thing.
1: It's hard to say you're going to duplicate 101 wins, but if you sit here today, would you say this is a better team than last year? yes on pay, like just looking at yes it, i would agree Yes, now you could be a better team and have a worse record but just because that's how things work but i i think it's a better team and then if you feel like it's a better team and more equipped to make a run really make it a better team trade a prospect trade you know and go get a, a you know a starter or a i reliever. think on Barrios.
0: i think here's what i think they're doing chipper i think they're, they're gonna wait and see how the first um two plus three months go yeah and see, and I think in their mind, Brio still could be could emerge as mm-hmm. that guy. Now, I think a lot of fans are like, "No, he's a number two. He's he's nice. He's good. He's your best pitcher. He's your best starting pitcher, but he's not going to be a true number one." I think Falvey and Levine and Baldelli think to themselves, "Hold on a second. There could be more here." Yeah. So maybe that trade that that we potential trade that we're talking about in July uh, could be forced by the fact that Brio simply is not that guy. Yeah. But if he emerges as that guy. I think they say, we got him, and yeah. it's Jose Barrios.
1: Yeah, and then you have, some, you know, if, if Odorizzi's an all-star again or close to that, you know, and Panetti comes back, and this guy, and, and mm-hmm. Maeda's who he's been, you know. And Rich Hill, to me, is gravy.
0: Yeah, I mean, what do you... If you get something there, it's fantastic. Yeah. If you don't, you can't be shocked. Yeah. Bailey, I, Bailey is uh, their Martin Perez of 2020. Yeah. Might have some good
1: moments and just some, yeah
0: well uh, and and the thing with him is if he is good and then tails off you got to be willing to quickly pull the rep there I
1: think they probably would
0: but i'm optimistic too i just yeah. have been i've been so optim I've, well, I've so been taking it for granted that they're going to be really really good yeah. that i have s-
1: tried you, to you're looking around the corner yeah, I've, tr- I, I've
0: slowed myself down
1: i will say this is the most excited i've been for a baseball season in a long time well how much fun was last summer like you yeah. talked about you're watching games and you you feel like, okay, that wasn't a fluke, right? That wasn't right. like a pop up season that was just like, okay, this is not no. going to be duplicated. You feel like, all right, they legitimately have one of the better teams <laughs> in baseball, right? And so, like, I, I'm I can't wait for the season to start. You know, I agree completely. Just get past the wool season. Throwing you, it out. You, oh, yeah, God, yeah,
0: please <laughs> yep. help us. What is your take? Last thing, uh, what is your take on what's going on with? the Vikings as we enter what is one of the most interesting off seasons as far as movement and roster decisions that we've seen in a long time I found it interesting at the combine that Zimmer uh, when he spoke both I think at the podium and to the the local media talked about the expectation that Everson Griffin who had voided his contract is going to come back which I took to be code for passive aggressive Mike trying to put pressure on the Griffin camp to a certain degree yeah more importantly his employer to say he's coming back, and I also found it very intriguing that he basically said, Anthony Harris has been great. I hope he makes a lot, but we can replace safety. Yeah,
1: I was stunned by the the Griffin thing. Like, I didn't think, and we talked about before, like, you can't have all that money tied up, tied up in your safety, and Anthony Harris is going to make more than you can feel comfortable yes. giving him because you just can't have all that in one position. Um, the Griffin one surprised me because I just thought, I thought he was going to be, like, the poster one for changing of the guard. We're moving on. We love Everson, but we can't afford to, you know, sign. And who knows what they could get him for at this point? And maybe that is right. Maybe that was them negotiating through the media, right? But you know, there's this whole idea of you got to get young, younger, and cheaper. At some point,
0: aren't you going to throw? Well, isn't the, someone going to come along and give? I I believe Everson's thirty two. Won't somebody give
1: him a contract that the Vikings are like, we can't match that? I, yeah, I was thinking, like, some team that has a good defense that's missing a pass rusher. Yeah. And just, like, a situational guy. Not a guy that's going to play 80, you know, sure. 90% of snaps, but if it's 60, and, you know, sign him as a situational, ex, you know, kind of a third down but pass But pay rusher. him more than the Vikings certainly could. Yeah, but maybe the, maybe the market's not there. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I think it, it was Mike I, trying to get his guy back. Yeah, because no, no one else, no one else that surprised me echoed that one. Well, yeah, and I I thought for sure, Everson, Xavier and Anthony Harris would be gone. Yes, yes. And I think Trey Wayne's gonna I think walk Trey Wayne's is going to walk too, and someone's going to pay him. Yeah, and um, Linval, I'm yeah, I, maybe they can get him to restructure, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone, too.
0: Yeah, and but do you – okay, so off that, uh, and, and NFL free agency, the new league year starts, I believe, uh, middle of March. I think eight, 18th. Do you expect – because my answer is no. I think you're right about guys being gone. I also don't expect them to make a huge splash in the market. The Vikings? The Vikings. I, I think that they're going to they sign – they have the money to make? <laughs> no, they don't, but, but they can free up money. Yeah. But the point being is I think they're going to get a free agent Offensive lineman. Yes. Uh, and but I don't know what's gonna be a name that we're all like, oh that guy's great. I think it might be just an upgrade. Pat Elfline at left guard was unplayable. Yeah. For a lot of the well, season. it sounds
1: like you're gonna move Riley Reef in there and get a yeah. new left tackle.
0: Well, if you but if you okay, but if you get a left tackle but that's not cheap, Judd. If you get a real left if you get a good left tackle, that's, that's a, a splash. splash. Yeah. I just am not going to be surprised if they don't make what we consider to be a splash.
1: Well, I don't know they, they have the money, although reading Ben Gessling from my paper, he had a primer on Sunday. It, from what he's hearing, boy, it sounds like they're going to re- redo Cousins and extend them to try to free up some money that yeah, way. Yeah, which, by the way, I wouldn't do. I don't know that it would mean much, would it, Like other than freeing up well, the money. It doesn't mean you're married to them. It for...
0: Well, here's, the, here's where we could be running into the wall he- head on. What they want to do with Cousins for the extension and what Cousins wants to well, do for the, his extension could be very different things. Yeah, and that's, uh, he made
1: it clear he must have talked to Cousins or something, but he's not going to give him a hometown discount. Well,
0: right, but then that I'm not extending him then. Yeah. and Then, because, I, then I'm playing him out. Because he
1: made a point that that was an important thing to get the guaranteed money up front. He was becoming a yes. trendsetter and trying to do yes. that for the, the union.
0: You get so, that one bite of that apple from me. Yeah. I'm not doing that again. Are you? No. I'm not going to extend. No. The only way I extend, him I, is, I said
1: right, I would not.
0: The only way I extend Cousins is on a hometown. I want to win. And he won't. So that. what can I do for you? Discount. And he, I don't know he would do that. And the problem is he's not. He's not a good enough quarterback,
1: not to do that.
0: Like yeah. he's not the guy to set that example.
1: No. And I, we've talked about it. I'd be almost inclined to look for a quarterback in this draft. But so would I. But I also would repair the offensive line before I do that. Last
0: thing, I'm also hearing very differing things about Zimmer's contract extension. There are some who are sure he's going to get one, and there are some who think that the Wolves might go back to the 2005 Ticey year and let him coach it out, which is very, very rare. But that would how interesting would that be? But they're just it sounds how would Zimmer handle that one. I mean, he says he doesn't care. Well, here's he, I mean, he's, he's he's made a statement. He would care. He would care a lot. And here, but here's the one factor. Here's the X factor in this entire thing which has not been talked about much. And it's not surprising because this guy is easy to forget, but we shouldn't sleep on the importance of this guy. Kevin Warren's replacement is a guy by the name of Andrew Miller, who came from the Toronto Blue Jays. Sure. Very steeped that franchise in analytics, baseball, things like that. Andrew has been, and I think he's probably a really smart guy. So he spent the first, he got the job in August. Mm-hmm. So you spend that season basically observing, right? Observing and learning and being very quiet and, Rick does this, and Mike does this, and you get forgotten. Now, I think Kevin Warren always fancied himself on being a personnel guy. Uh, well, Andrew Miller doesn't sound like he does, but I also think he very much fancies himself on having a say in who's in charge of the football team.
1: Well, that's... I I asked Mark Wilf that when we uh, during the season when it, uh, we had a chance to talk to him. I said, would you be looking for someone like Kevin who just does business, or someone who might want to have... And he said, nope, just business. So... Whether that's playing out that way, I don't know, but they—I think they've always kind of wanted a separation of church and state in that, in that and Kevin organization, always, but right? Kevin,
0: I, Kevin saw himself almost, I think, as a de facto GM at times. Like I think Kevin, Kevin wanted to have input or at least some say on football matters down and, to and Spielman and Spielman didn't. But this, but I do think that the president of the franchise, or I think it was title COO, is, COO, yeah. perhaps. I do think that that type of power structure does lend itself to wanting a say on the gm and coach maybe so not like not anthony harris yeah yeah but just who's running the but who's running the show because and we're seeing this chipper more and more sort of the marriage of things well it'd be interesting and if, working in lockstep is becoming it, has become more
1: important it'll be interesting if it does because what did the wills come out when all that was really kind of at a fever pitch at the end of the year and said, no, Zimmer's our guy, and blah, blah, blah. So if, if they don't come back and give him an extension this offseason?
0: So it speaks volumes. It
1: speaks really
0: loud volumes.
1: All right, sir, so we are right, done. Brother.
0: Conduits of trouble. We'll uh, talk to you soon.